0: this is the coolest show brought to you by hip-hop caucuses think 100
1: it's the coolest show you know keep the culture connected it's the coolest show you know in your ear yeah respect the expert level information entertainment education rev here we got you covered as you hit your destination climate rules everything around me crazy for those who lost Just close your eyes and just train open your third eye now the world is your off coolest coolest show you know it's the hip-hop cool.
0: On August 29th, 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast. On August 29th of 2021, Hurricane Ida hit the Gulf Coast. But despite those hurricanes, we push on. Welcome to the Coolest Show. I am Rev Year with your host. And I'm so excited to be joined by two of not only people who I know well, friends, colleagues, folks who are artists, archivists, but I'm joined by those who love the same place that I call home, and that's Louisiana. I'm joined I'm joined by Sess 45 and Dawn Richard. And so with that, I want to welcome them both to the coolest show. Hey, Don. Hey Sas. What's happening?
1: Good to be here, Ralph. How you making out?
0: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's good to see y'all. Well, Don, we start with you. For folks, and folks should know you, because you are, man, you have so many accolades, so many things that you've done, you are doing ph- phenomenal artists and musician. Uh, but for folks who just don't know you. Who is Don Rashard, and who is your community?
2: Um, first and foremost, um, I'm a New Orleans native. That's the first thing I'm born and raised in the Lower Ninth Ward of New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, and I am a product of my city, um, which shows that we have so much to offer the world, even though sometimes we are forgotten. And you speaking about. Uh, Katrina is one of those times I think we felt it, Um, but I feel blessed and lucky enough to be from where you guys are from. And um, that's who I am first in my music and the art and the works that I have done has all been centered around the root um, of what I come from, which is my city. So I happen to sing, I happen to animate, and I happen to work in activism with Hip Hop Caucus. So I'm lucky enough to do what I love to do every day.
0: And that's an important piece here. Today is one of our shows where everybody on the show is hip-hop caucus and that's a wonderful thing. We are all part of this family. It's in beyond the movement, y'all. I mean, it's family. We love each other, we work together and we want to make change in our community. Before I get to all of that, Sess, who is Sess 405 and who is your community?
1: Sess uh, four5 is a New Orleans native. Uh, born and raised here in the city, uh, lifelong residence. I love music. I love, you know, entertainment. I love the people, you know, traveling. I love our culture. And uh, so just a, a, a man who's uh, in America, you know, and seeing what, you know, life, what life throws at me. And uh, my community uh, is beautiful. You know, uh, we got a a great history here, a great culture and, uh, just, you know, the people that look like us help you grow up and give you advice and, uh, just all of those history lessons, all of those things that make you who you are, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, just coming up in this city, you know, the rich history and culture that, uh, America knows and it's a tourist town. So, you know, folks come to get the hospitality. You know, New Orleans is one of those places that, you know, definitely show the world, you know, southern hospitality and what that look like. And, you know, just this community, we we, we go through a lot of stuff, but uh, there's nothing, no city, you know, like this city. And I just love being, you know, a New Orleanian and being a native. And uh,
0: this community is, is one that's super special. Mm. You know, I just got to say for those who are listening, uh, you know, I wasn't born in New Orleans. I was born in Shreveport, a little further up the boot, as we would call it, uh, top of the boot, actually. And then, you know, really, you know, New Orleans became home and, and just a place to me with there's so many people before and after Hurricane Katrina. There's one person I can't even go on further, but I'll bring her into this, her spirit, into this conversation, one of our amazing ancestors, uh, someone who was so important to me um, over there on Durjuan Street on the 7th Ward, uh, Diane French Cole. And we all knew her as Mama D. Mama D. And, you know, I've Go ahead, Seth.
1: No, I, I was just, you know, echo, and I knew who you was talking about, you know, already when you. Was-
0: yeah, yeah, you knew, yeah, you knew where I was going. No, if and if and if, and if and if you and if you know, I mean, it, it's I just got to bring because it's hard to under, Explain, I mean, Dawn is in this tradition of this strong black woman who love our people, love them to the end, and Mama D was that way. For for Seth, folks who don't know who I'm talking about, who who was Diane French Cole, better known as Mama D? Uh
1: Mama D to me, you know, is a freedom fighter, you know, a loving, you know, woman, a you know, a passionate woman. She she if I had to like give folks a comparison in in just my vision, she's she's like the Harriet Tubman you know, of our time, Mm. just, you know, always fighting to free our people. And, you know, I love Mama D so much, being able to, you know, uh, be as a, you know, she was like a mentor, right? So just studying her, uh, when I became in uh, organizing, you know, so once I start stepping up, being a voice in New Orleans, you know what I'm saying? You know, she would uh, pull me by the coattail and just, you know, give me advice, give me wisdom. But, you know, she fought for the people who didn't know their power, you know what I'm saying? So like, you know, the system would just misuse you because, uh, you know, lack of knowledge and, you know, like racism, you know, all of those things, like she was fearless, you know? So she was bold and she was confident. And when you see a black woman You know, talking back to the police and talking back to the judges and talking back and fighting for, you know, what's naturally, you know, our God given right. But when you don't see, you know, men or women, you know, address the powers that be, you know, I'm saying Uh, because of fear of repercussion. But she was just bold and fearless. So she gave me and us and others like me that confidence. You know what I'm saying? They're like, nah, what they're doing not right, and we're not gonna stand for it, and we're not gonna just be silent and let things happen. And so, you know, she was, she just gave you so much courage and confidence from living her life and just being bold mm. and fearless like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, nah, she was something. Don, did you know about Mama D? Did you ever come in contact with her at all? Did you hear about her <laughs> legacy?
2: Yes, I did. And my father, uh, was on Deje. Like my dad had uh, a okay. his grandfather lived on Dejeunis. And so um I grew up hearing stories of her um through my father because my father was very well known at the time and he was doing a lot of music events and every time he'd speak to he'd have these meetings with uh, people like Fats, Dr. John, and all of them would talk about the power of what Mama D was, what she was implementing. Every time there was a situation where the city was struggling to have a voice, she seemed to be the voice uh, that kind of gave power, that people were listening to, and even if it wasn't received, she gave it anyway. So she was kind of like this ethereal character to my my upbringing, kind of like this woman that uh, wasn't just tangible, but also like um an entity itself like when people spoke of it it was regal almost like something that everyone in new orleans had to understand and know that this is why we have our rights this is why we are what we are because of women like this
0: mm. mm-hmm. mama d was something for me y'all i'm gonna I'm tell you when when we had to cross the the crescent city connection when they had stopped the people um mm-hmm. after katrina and I never forget it. And I, I, I don't know if I told you this before, Seth, or, or no. I, I I had, it was a time when, so we had the first march, Hip Hop Caucus, had the first march across that bridge. It was on November 7th because Rita came, people don't know, Rita came after Katrina. and I mean, we mean, you know, and they, but it didn't really hit, it hit really Texas, but it still had an impact. So we was going to march afterwards. because We were so mad that they, people got stopped going up to Gretna. And so, we did that in March, and uh, and and it was it was still, I mean, you know, it's still bad in some cases. But it was really, you know, it was this is about um, two months after uh, Katrina. But had, Mama D got out there, and and actually, it was me, Cynthia McKinney, and man, they had even. They, I'm so proud of the Nation of Islam sending their brothers to send security because they had, the people had told me they was going to take me out. You know, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm red and freckle faced and hard headed, So, you know, that's nothing scared scare me, but they was talking about all that. You know, we're going to take you out and take Cynthia McKinney out. Mommy D said, we well, ain't worried about that. We're going to cross this bridge. Boy, you want to take us out? You want take everybody out? Y'all? I mean, I saw, like, I was so, and I don't know where they found a truck with some batteries on it, but then they started playing fight the power. <laughs> we, I don't even know where they got the sound system from, but that's that's and I mean her energy was just so amazing and this so yeah rest in power Mama D, in that process we just had to bring you into this conversation, Dawn And when I when I think about that, you know, I look at you. I mean, first of all, people may not know, obviously. I mean, because you, you are an amazing artist, you you are you have a on on large. Stages, you know, you've been on TV shows and all that. And so now they're hearing you as an activist. They probably say, hold on, that's the same, Don? Explain why that's not only in your DNA, but why it's in the DNA for artists in New Orleans to build these things together.
2: I think you just even speaking about what Mama D did, like, and what the, even how she did it, and you were like, I don't know how there was a speak. That is New Orleans at its core, right? That is, we will find a way to have our voices, and we will do it in such a unique way, right? There is this level of pride that we have in this city that expands beyond just uh, the tourist or the visual that people see New Orleans mm-hmm. to be. We eat, sleep and breathe our city. It's in our veins. We love this place and we love each other. And though we may have issues, there is a um, a, um, a continuity uh, with how we feel about this, this thing called, this culture, this lifestyle called New Orleans, because it's beyond just the city, it's a lifestyle. Um, so I already knew and felt that long before I also had it within my DNA because my father and his family, the fetishins, the, we were a part of the the black Mardi Gras Indians, the fetishins, like it's, it's deeply rooted. It isn't just a one generation or a second generation. This is like generational wealth of culture, right? The general general, mm. like that generational wealth of culture, not money, but the wealth that our, our wealth in history wow. is generated.
0: Yeah. Say that, say that
2: you think generational wealth isn't only being monetary, but to me, I think New Orleans has a generational wealth in history and it is why we are such a popular city um, because you can feel it when you step on the concrete, you can feel the stories, the ancestry, the real, the realism of what we are. And we try really hard not to lose that. Why people associate me as an artist is because I not only lived it, but I, when Katrina happened, I lost a lot. I lost I lost grandfathers. I lost my home. I lost a sense of self because, again, we are a lifestyle. So when we lost the things that we lost in New Orleans, we didn't lose a city. We lost a lifestyle. We lost our culture. We lost a part of our generational wealth. And so that was why it was imperative for me as a musician. When you understand the power of music and what that even just being of service, it doesn't have to be music if you choose to to paint Art, any creative that is a power of service. When you are at that level and you are given that platform, it is imperative that you speak on the things that have gotten you to that place. And I felt like it was my duty to step up to the plate and speak the story that I went through because I was not the only one experiencing. We were all experiencing it in real time, and it would have been shameful if I had not said, "What am I going to do to be to, to tell the story, to help better this city, to help." give my love letter constantly to New Orleans to say that even though when, when the times are good, people want to invest, but when they are bad, they sometimes forget we, the city, the natives, we never forget the power of what we are. And that is why Mm. I chose to do hip hop caucus. That is why I chose to say, I, you know, to bring the TV stations to New Orleans I brought MTV back to New Orleans after Katrina, and I told the story via making the band. I told the story about the city because I wanted people to see. Everyone was talking about Mardi Gras, but we were displaced. We didn't have homes. I wanted to tell that story. And ever since that day, I've been trying to make sure that I have, even though I lost my home, I wouldn't lose my lifestyle. Right. And so that's mm. the, the my, my goal and my legacy that I want to leave is similar to Mama D. I want people to speak about me, not as a musician, but the fight to make my city be seen in its most beautiful form, because that's how I see it. I'm a product of that beautiful form, not just the negative parts, but the parts that we are still fighting to keep um, in our generational wealth.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, let's get to it, y'all. You know, This year, 2022, marks 17 years since Hurricane Katrina hit on August 29th, 2005. And when Katrina hit the Gulf Coast 17 years ago, Black people, poor people were left to die in the richest country in the world. So each year on the anniversary, we commemorate our loved ones we lost celebrate our resiliency and demand justice and a just future. So what I want to get to both of you now and says, start with you. What are your memories of Katrina? Um, Where where were you when Katrina hit? And, you know, just and talk about just that day.
1: Uh, So, you know, I was living in New Orleans, uh, you know, before Katrina and we hearing all of this, you know, massive, you know, hurricane, you know, category, you know, five and, you know, everybody run for the hills, you know, Ray Nagin was the mayor at the time. And, you know, some people, you know, didn't necessarily have the wherewithal to, you know, just pack up and leave like that. You know what I'm saying? You know, New Orleans is a city, you know, a lot of people just live in poverty. You know what I'm saying? People, you know, check the check, or uh, whatever, and uh, so uh, me and my my wife, and uh, she wasn't my wife at the time, but uh, me and my my uh, wife, you know, I was stubborn, you know. She like, hey, let's go the Baton Rouge. It's not gonna be, you know, as bad out there. You know, it's supposed to just hit here, and I was like, I don't want to go. And she was like, but well, look, I'm going. You know what I'm saying? And so, uh, you know. I took her advice. I took, you know, that was, you know, one of the best times for taking a woman's advice, you know. And I went, and then, you know, uh, the hurricane hit. Right, so it hit, but it didn't. It didn't do no damage. You know what I'm saying? It was like people outside. When you, if you go back to the footage, like people outside on Canal Street. You know what I'm saying? It's sunny. You know, it's beautiful after the you know hurricane hit or whatever. And then you know when they blew the levees, then the water come in the neighborhood. And, you know, that's the crazy part about this whole hurricane, you know, Katrina, you know, story is that it rained and it was sunny. And then, you know, the water just come from nowhere, and you know, flood, you know, the city. And so you see, you know, after Katrina, when, you know, all this water start flooding the poor neighborhoods, you know what I'm saying? And then people, you know, stranded and stuck on roofs, and you know, stuck in the 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 makeshift shelter of the Superdome, you know, for days and days and days, like I all said, in the richest, you know, country, you know, in the world, and you know the just the racism, you know, the the black people looting, and the you know the white folks commandeering, you know, items, and you know just seeing it in front of face you know what I'm saying, you know, as the world watching it, and for, you know, people you know, people, to see people you know, uh, you know, on television, you know what I'm saying, suffering and asking for help, you know, just our people, and you you know, you kind of helpless, and then to hear the stories of the people who you know, tried to save their kids and their grandmothers and you know, their family members and their neighbors, and then hearing the other part about the, the citizens, you know, you know, going get food and bring it back to the community and getting boats and going rescue people and, you know, all of those different elements, you know, that just show the power of community and, uh you know, coming back and just seeing the whole city look great. You know what I'm saying? Like, the whole city just great. It's almost dead. You know what I'm saying? And it's, you know, eerie. You know what I'm saying? No people around and while the why while the ground still wet you know what I'm saying just seeing all of that aftermath you know so it, it it was you know heartbreaking you know as a citizen you know to see all of the devastation but it just you know kind of made make you look at the world totally different once you experience that whole uh experience you know
0: mm. nah Seth, thank you for that and I just want to say for those who are listening from the Gulf, those who may be tuning in and just checking this out, who are from, you know, Louisiana, from who went through this, Mississippi um, was also was hit, but definitely those in New Orleans. If you listen to this, and this brings back any kind of memories, um, take time right now. Like you know, God, you could just you know take a little time. You know, make sure because we 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 looking back to look forward. But we also realize, and that was painful, right? This this wasn't no easy thing. I think that's just to set here, is that when you see particularly black and brown, and indigenous people being left behind on purpose, and then everything being done to move them out, to then in essence almost not almost, but to steal their land, and shut down charity hospital and shut down the school system and and do everything they need to do so they can rebuild certain parts of the city in their own way. It's painful. It's painful. Particularly when you think about the proud legacy of particularly black and brown and indigenous people in that city. And also what that city means to the whole country. What it means from from our direct uh, connection to Haiti. Our direct connection to the revolts there, the slave revolts. Our, our direct connection from the NAACP, the beginnings of of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with Dr. King, uh, and so many different movements that were birthed right there in New Orleans. It's painful. So I just want to make sure if you listen, take time. And but but we're gonna get into it because we want to move forward. You know, Don, you were young, Don Katrina, you know, how has that experience, you know, affected or shaped your adult life and where you are now?
2: Yeah, I was um, in college uh, at the time and it's, it's, it's wild because it's similar to Sess to in the sense that we were listening to Margaret Orr and we could see, um, they were saying, uh, you know, it was between Category 4 and Category 5 and they didn't know what to do and if we should stay or not. And then I remember the seriousness on the news where it was like, they were like, if you don't leave, there will be bodies. People will die. And I remember thinking it's so funny every time there's a hurricane, we always are like, we'll wait it through, we'll wait it through. And my parents were thinking the same thing, kind of like says, like, I don't want to leave. It'll be fine. Um, but for whatever reason, my dad had a, a wedding uh, on that Sunday, and he was like, well, if it gets worse, we'll leave. We'll leave on, on, you know, after the wedding. And you know, the weather didn't look bad. Like Seth said it was fine. And then Monday morning, I don't know. It just felt like we should leave. Um, so we packed for three days and at the time I was still in school. So, you know, everybody, like most colleges and everything, they were, everybody was saying shut everything down, but we, we were under the impression that this would be over in three days and we'd be back. Um, my grandfather and my grandparents couldn't leave because they were in dialysis at charity. So, Mm -hmm. um, Some family members couldn't leave. And I don't know if if this is the same thing with everyone, but mostly in New Orleans, families are very close together. So for example, it isn't just like mom and then, you know, your parents live somewhere else. It's like my mom and dad lived here and then maybe eight blocks down, my grandmother was there and then my aunt was down the street. So when I say Everyone was going through Katrina, my entire immediate family from aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone was affected at the same time because we all lived within eight mile radiuses of each other. Right. That's just New Orleans. Right. Your cousin lived down the street, therefore. So we were all trying to make decisions on what we should do. And I remember I remember packing for three days and then never seeing my home again. I remember us watching on television. He's right. Um, A few of our we left. But my, my, my grandmother at the time, they couldn't leave and they lost all the windows. The wind was really bad. So it didn't rain as bad as the winds were. So there were broken uh, windows and and, and and things like that, but there wasn't massive flooding. And then the levees happened. And then everything we knew as we know it, we saw in real time. And our story was a little crazy because we left late. We left that Monday. So mm. there, the flow was going and so, you know, normally it takes, what, six hours to get to Dallas. It took 13 hours to get to Dallas. Um, and then when we got there, no hotels were available. Everything was sold out because everyone was leaving. And they told us to maybe try, you know, some areas close to Houston. We drove to closer to Houston. No hotels were available. So then my, my dad was like, we should maybe look at Mississippi. So we then went the opposite direction. Wouldn't mind you, we're in a car with all our things packed pack, pack for three days We went to Biloxi and no hotels were available. So we slept in the car. That Mm. day turned into weeks. And then they told us to go to this small camp, like refugees. And that was my first depiction of, yo, we're black. We're not, they don't care about us. That was my first realization that black people, as we know it, we were treated like refugees. They sent us to a tent. They gave us a red ticket. I'll never forget it. And then that red ticket would give us a pair of clothes and like a little box of food. But by the time we got there, the only thing was children's clothes and leftover boxes. So I walked away with like children's boys underwear, and that was all I could get from that tent. And they gave us a card of a thousand dollars, right? And they said, "Figure that out." But my dad was like, "Well, the cards cool, but I still gotta have a place to to live." So the car kind of became our haven. We stayed. We lived in the car for a while. Now this is we're we're a middle class family. Well, my parents worked really hard. And at the age of 50, I saw my parents not know what to do for the first time. They were basically living like refugees. In the meantime, we could not get in touch with my grandfather or my grandparents. We later found out charity ran. They closed charity down. Therefore, people were on dialysis, lost battery life. And so people died. Our family died. Our family members died. Um, We heard about uh, people committing suicide and being raped in the Superdome. A friend of my dad's, a musician, a very popular musician, she was raped in the Superdome uh, because it was just they couldn't, there was no police officer. They they couldn't man how many people were in the Superdome and in the sanitation. Women, you know, women were going through their menstrual cycles. Babies were using the rest. There was not enough to facilitate all that was going on. So you had crazy smells. You had... Criminals in with people who weren't criminals and you, you had all that going on. So there was rape, uh, infection and people really going mentally going through trauma in the Superdome. So we heard about that. And then uh, my brother was the only person that wasn't a part of Katrina. He was in Baltimore. We just decided to drive to Baltimore. We couldn't go anywhere else. So my dad didn't sleep. He just drove till he got to my brother's one bedroom uh kind of apartment he was in college and that's when we started to hear that Trump was buying up all the property in the lower night ward like immediately Mm. so people started buying properties you know underneath while we were all suffering and I that was my first that was my realization that we aren't like they people come to see us and they come to party but they're not investing in us like that was when I saw the truth of what we're viewed as. You know, it's that similar thing in cultural re- realization that people want to steal your, sh- still steal what you are, but they don't want to be you. They want to take, you know, all the things that you have, but they don't want to be your color. They don't want to go through those things, and I realized that they love New Orleans from far away, but when it's time to invest. Um, it's too, the black and brown people are going to be left behind for it. Um, So I I witnessed and experienced multiple different feelings, loss, homelessness, and then on top of that, economical um, warfare. Because to me, that's warfare, right? When just genocide, economic, like genocide, when you Mm -hmm. wait for people to get taken away from their communities and then pillage um, and buy all the property because a lot of people couldn't afford flood insurance. So finding out that like, oh, this is a great opportunity to make a, economic chance while, while people are dying. That was a lot for me to process as a young young woman uh, that I couldn't even worry about graduating from college. I couldn't worry about, these are things that are just normal. I couldn't worry about the fact that I had only packed for three days and now I had no clothes, no any, you know. These were the minor things because there were bigger things like loss of our own family members and trauma. And what do we do from here? Where do we go? How do we live?
0: Mm, wow. Cesar, as you hear Don? I mean, what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, it's, you know, it's the same because, you know, like I, I witnessed it as well. I was, I was a participant in the, the refugee treatment, you know what I'm saying? And I know all, you know, my family members, you know, who participated in it, you know, unwillingly, you know? So like she was sharing about just the people uh, getting bussed off to all of these different cities, you know, after, you know, the uh, America finally, you know, sent some supposedly help. You know, they they sent out people on one way trips to, you know, all parts of the United States without a way to get back. And so like she was just sharing about, you know, they gave her dad a car with a thousand dollars on it. Like they, they literally gave, you know, families, you know, a thousand dollars. Uh, They, you know, like when I remember uh, FEMA gave, you know, us $10,000 for everything that we lost. You know what I'm saying? So we, you know, you got grandmothers and great grandmothers who had memorabilia for generations. So it wasn't just one family and a household, but every household got like one ten thousand dollars for everything and everybody in your house, because you know it's we communal. You know, like when I grew up in the, you know, when I grew up in the Desire Project, my grandmother had all three of her daughters in one house, and all three of her daughters had families. You know what I'm saying? And you know when you grow up you know you might reach you know what i'm saying get another you know apartment or whatever it is but we we all that was four families in one you know what i'm saying and but the way the government did it only one person who ever filed his at the household got uh you know any you know uh funds but you had to you know t- it was a slap in the face it was disrespectful it was it was disgraceful for this country to do what they did to, you know, black people. And it, it just, it took so much outcry to make them do a little. And they did the, the a mm. little, they did the bare minimum. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just shameful. Right?
0: Well, let me say this, this is important. People always ask me, you know, about the hip hop caucus. And I've said this publicly. I've said this privately that, It is truly in what happened during Katrina that is the soul of the Hip Hop Caucus. It is one of the reasons why we as an organization will never uh, stop working in the Gulf Coast. Uh, We know that, as we know, uh, Tiki, uh, Dawn, and Seth knows that right after Katrina, when the cameras was gone, Everybody was gone with them. In two or three years, they was they was gone. And they was moving on to the next thing. And that's not how it works, particularly after a crisis and after a disaster. It goes on for decades. And so we made a decision at the caucus, the hip hop caucus, when we were very clear. We made a decision that every single, year, even when we didn't have, when we was, when we had to incest those this when we didn't have, we would make a way. And we make a way out of no way. We would make a way. So that's what we're working with this year. We're going to have to make it work and <laughs> what we got and Seth's so to make it work. Okay. It's, you know, that's kind of what we do. We gumbo. That's what we do in, 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 in the South. But we did that. And I would say it's because of that also why the caucus now has grown because it had integrity. It had a, a, a spirit to be there. Um, you know, as this conversation comes out, You know, it will be August 29th. We will be actually, uh, you know, in New Orleans. Um, And so, you know, we're going to you just need to understand that this is, the, like I said, the soul and the backbone for this organization. But it's also why we fight so hard, because we saw what could be done to our people. So let me say this. We are going to have some, there's so much to get to here. We are going to have to have another conversation, particularly about the art and the culture and the artivists and how that has, how they're using this experience to shape them and how they're using this um, experience to shape both their art and activism. Um, We're going to have that conversation. But I do want to just make sure for this, people who are listening, because I know a lot of you are in the climate movement. Um, you need to understand that this is the reason right now why a lot of people of color don't trust sometimes. They know we're in a crisis, but they don't trust you sometimes because they see that you will leave them behind. And so that's exactly the reason why if you're going to have true solidarity, you can't leave people behind. But the climate crisis is here. As a matter of fact, last year, Uh, On this day of August 29th, Hurricane Ida was a Category 4 hurricane and the second most damaging and intense hurricane on record to make landfall uh, in Louisiana behind Hurricane Katrina. And so we look at that and we realize that we have to continue to be vigilant for our community. So when we think about that, you know, Seth, what, what were the needs during Hurricane Ida? So folks can kind of understand and, and and what and what is still needed now?
1: So uh first off, Rev, I just wanna say even 17 years, you know, after Katrina, uh, like you said, is it, is is a dedication that you gotta to have to the community because the reality and, you know, like Dawn said, across the, you know, in the Lord Night Water, across the canal, you still got homes that's never been rebuilt. It's still grass. So it still looks like mm. year one, you know, after Katrina and a lot of parts of this city, right? So I wanna, you know, start with that. But then uh, for Hurricane Ida, you know, like the infrastructure, you know, of the city is so poor. And hasn't been reinvested in. And so it's so much when something happened, <laughs> a little rain, you know, the power out. So for Hurricane Ida, you know, so many was so many people were out were without power. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, so it was the same, you know, evacuation piece. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, you know, have to, you know, scrape money together and, you know, go live in some other cities until they get the power out and you know then when you come back you know businesses are still without power so the people who live you know day by day you know check the check they can't make money you know what i'm saying but you still have needs you still have those daily needs you know and 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 this all happened you know in august and september this right before schools you know go where the schools go back so now the, the schools are delayed and, you know, the people can't, you know, get the uniforms and the things that they do. Their whole livelihood is is interrupted. And so the need was great just for uh, hot meals. They didn't have, you know, restaurants. Uh, none of this stuff was, was was open. And so just getting a hot meal, you know, was a a, a blessing and, a you know, a, a, a need. And then like we said, just, you know, rebuilding and getting gas, like the gas stations, you know, were uh, were dry, you know? So mm. the folks couldn't even, the the power was off in the gas station. So folks couldn't even get around how they needed to. You couldn't get your generators, uh, you know, working because of, you know, the lack of fuel. And it just was, uh, it was tough, you know, all around just getting back, to normalcy, you know, after
0: Hurricane Ida. It was hard. Hmm. Well, I want to make sure I give a shout out to everybody, a part of Hip Hop Caucus, the team. I want to shout out to everybody who gave Hip Hop Caucus, Hip Hop Caucus to the Hurricane Ida Relief Fund. And that Hurricane Ida Relief Fund raised and distributed over almost $100,000 directly to individuals. We were able to support 2,372 people and give 970 gifts to households. The funds cover everything from medical bills to food and utilities. So I just want to take this time to Thank all those who gave and, and we and that man Seth and um he gave that out. I don't know if anybody did it, Do We did it do Cash App and Venom. I don't know. We had a we, that was a we we you know we had to get to our people. i I tell you, Seth had me up late at night. Y'all, I, y'all, understand, Rep, man. Rep, I, I gotta I, say, he had, I, was, I was up. He had he even had me working, giving my I was there, cash and people, you know. <laughs> I was cool. like,
1: man, Rep, I, I gotta say this, you know, so like. Hip Hop Caucus and the Hurricane Relief Fund and everybody that donated, it was such a blessing for the people of the Gulf mm. Coast because that money didn't just go to New Orleanians. That money went to people all over this region who needed it. And the, the thing about what the Hip Hop Caucus did with that Hurricane Ida Relief Fund, it was the immediate need. It was for you to That's get right. what you need today. And, you know, being able to give out uh, money to the elderly, like nobody was left behind. We gave money to the elderly, the young people, people with kids. You know, it didn't matter your race. It don't matter. Just if you needed something, you know, funds was being distributed to the people. And uh, when 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 the people let me know, hey, I, I needed this gas to get back to New Orleans. You know, we needed this for some the, they didn't have a uh, formula for their babies. And you know that those funds went to that. So I just wanted to echo what you were saying that the people appreciated everybody who gave uh you know for that Hurricane Ida relief, and they were very appreciative.
0: Oh man, I love hearing that. And sometimes y'all in this world and in this in in this process, it's good to have a FEMA. Uh, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, but sometimes you got to have a PIMA, the People's Emergency Management Agency, <laughs> 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 when yeah. we got to take care of us. And so that's what we got to do, y'all. Sometimes we, you know, and that's what I'm so glad, I'm so grateful for uh, you, Dawn, and you, Sass, and for Hip Hop Caucus, because that's, that's powerful. Dawn, you know, I, I want to move to the, what's the future like? Because, like I said, we're we, we going to have to have a, a part two about the, the art and the activism and the activism. So we're going to follow up on that one. But just about from New Orleans. What's the story? What's the vision of the future you seek and are fighting for? To kind of paint us a picture of New Orleans in that future.
2: Well, to be honest with you, uh, it looks a lot like Cess. It looks a lot like you. And I say that because... Um, this is what is needed, right? Is this like what Sess has been doing and has been putting in the work from the beginning, right? With doing long before Hip Hop Caucus, and then long after he'll do it because this is just who he is as a person. But what New Orleans is grooming is Sess's and you and younger, and he will be a motivation for the younger the younger uh, kids coming out of New Orleans to understand the power of community, the power of your voice and what that could mean for a new New Orleans. So, I mean, it's happening because we have the cesses of the world. We have people like you guys coming in, understanding what's next for us. Us also understanding that uh, it's going to happen within the election. It's going to have to happen within us going into the community and changing the shape of what Louisiana looks like. Because to be honest, we have a lot of corruption within our government. And because of that, the local elements, the local community struggle because of it. We are a city that has all this wealth, but it is over, it's, it's undermined by people who are probably not from here and also a government that is severely corrupt. Um, so it's going to take us, the future looks like us, the community taking hold of the city bag. Um, and that could be within the uh, the government space, that could be within the artist space. Within the tech space, uh, within the entrepreneurial uh, space, you know, young local black talent, people coming back to New Orleans and building um, infra- building the infrastructure for ourselves, like getting a a, a young local mayor, getting someone um that understands how entrepreneurially we need more economy here, bringing more economic wins for the local community, not the people who come in, right? Because right now we have really great moments, but a lot of times it isn't from the local world. We have these really cool opportunities, but they're for people who have come and implant, you know, they implants and they come to the city. And though that's fine, the future will look beautiful when we locally as a as a as a team, as a community, understand that we have power here and we can build a new Orleans that we want to. It's already happening where we have artists like Tank from um, Tiana from Tank and the Bangers. We have Frida, we have Sess, we have uh Trombone Shorty, we have you know uh J- John Baptiste. we have all these incredible musicians really trying to raise the space and raise the opportunity, and then you have your government uh, local local government um, uh, pioneers who are coming in like you, Rev, who are saying, look, let's pay attention here. Let's spread the information. We didn't know about fossil fuels. We didn't know about petrochemicals. We didn't know what they were doing and why our family members are having cancer. We didn't understand climate change, but now we have an avenue like Hip Hop Caucus and like podcasts like this to be able to say we can gather the information. What the future will look like for us is how importantly we put knowledge and information accessible to the community we get this knowledge to be accessible and relatable to us, we can then a- affect that change. And that's going to be educational. That's going to be putting it in our schools and putting it in our infrastructure. We have to protect this city. I was listening to Sess, and he was saying how the the streets, we were just talking about this red right before we got on how the street, I was telling you the streets are so bad and the flooding is so bad. The power, um, they just built rebuilt the levees at the same level, not better, but they literally rebuilt the levees to be the same height, the same everything before Katrina. So that means that if we have another Katrina, we back where we started. So even that concept that we're being told by our own own country that we are not enough. So it is now time for us locally to say no, but we are. We have to take the reins and the hold of this community and build it from the ground up grassroots. So we take an old idea, like a grassroots idea, but apply it in a future, in a futuristic space, in a future, futuristic way. I think if we can put those two together, our young will be able to build New Orleans into a better space. Um, but I, I do believe it starts with information, with knowledge. We've got to get this. we got to do this more. We've got to make these opportunities, conversations like this, more accessible. Um, and I can see that by even having like the sesses of the world out there saying you should come and listen to this. You could co- you should come and see this. What you're doing now, Rev, is the start of the future. That's my my thought on it.
0: Oh, man, that's beautiful, Don. I love that vision. I think that's so. No, no, no. Keep going. I'm going to cut off. The... I'm going to cut off all that good. All that good stuff now.
2: Now we just never had the info. I know growing up, nobody was telling me about flood insurance. Nobody, my parents, you know, people weren't having flood insurance. Nobody was telling me about petrochemicals, fossil fuels. Nobody was explaining to me why we had such a, why we were a port city and why there was so much oil. Um, out in the Gulf, like why, why, like monoliths like Shell and Chevron were existing and why our, our waters are so bad, but there's so much oil in the waters. That's why we're so content. People weren't having this discussion with us. So when we think of climate change, we weren't even putting New Orleans in the mix when really we're the hub of it. Um, so it, it took for me to, to do my own research. And a lot of people don't have computers. A lot of this, these, these the, our, our, our communities are under uh, appreciated. So, we've got to start get, getting this information to be accessible um, within the schools, within our communities, in a way they can receive it. You know, just basic information that they can understand the power that they have and what's happening right now and how they can change it, even in the smallest way.
0: Mm. Dawn, that's amazing. I oh, mean, thank you for that. So, Sess, if you could bring all the young folks in New Orleans together. And they were all sitting around. Everybody who was born after Katrina or like, well, five or six when Katrina, you know, five, six, four, three, two, one, when Katrina hit. I'm going to give you this floor to talk to them right now. And amidst all what's going on, what would you tell them?
1: Uh, I would tell them about uh, opportunity, you know, so... uh, Coming up in this city, you know, there wasn't a lot, a lot of opportunity, you know, for young people. And uh, right now, there's a trend in our community, you know, where you know everybody think the people that they don't know are the ops, and you know, the ops mean, you know, opponent, uh, you know, opposition, you know, and. Not knowing that this could be your cousin, you know, you know, somebody that uh you know son a daughter, and we all looking at people like the enemy just because we don't know them. And I, I would say that, you know, we have to know each other, work with each other, and build with each other, right? Because everybody, just because you don't know them are not your op. You know what I'm saying? The only thing, the only op I got is opportunity. That's, you know, a, a, a model that I have and I carry. The only op- I got is opportunity. And, you know, these young people, they just need love, right? They need to know what love look like and know what love look like from people that look like them. And, you know, I would just wanna share, you know, everything that I'm doing in the community, like from all of the, you know, the life lessons from people like uh, Big Duck, you know, Jerome Smith, and, you know, the Mama D's and, you know, Reverend Yearwoods and all of the people who, you know, showed me love as a kid, you know, and, you know, guided me when I was, you know, in a park, you know, playing football for, you know, Huntersfield <laughs> and it be full circle that I can be uh, adult and give events in the same park where, you know, people showed me love at, you know. So just understanding that. You know, in his life, you know, they they have second chances and third chances, uh, you know, just because you make a mistake. That's not the end of your story. Right. And, you know, people have to learn how to deal with, you know, conflict resolution. And I have plenty, you know, guys that I had disagreements with uh, that, you know, later on in life, you know, we still able to, you know, see each other and, uh, you know, shake hands, uh, you know, do business, you know, or whatever, you know, even though we had a disagreement, you know, 15 years ago and some of the young people, you know, nowadays, you know, they, they going straight to the, you know, the guns over a disagreement, you know what I'm saying? Communication rule of nation, you know, a conversation can fix anything. So, you know, I would just share that, you know, you have to be able to, you know, communicate with each other and understand, that, you know, just because you don't know somebody, don't make them your enemy. And, you know, if you build relationships with people, you know what I'm saying? You can build for the long haul. You never know how that person can, you know, be an asset in your life in the future.
0: Hmm. Thank you, Seth. That was beautiful. Seth, how how can people follow and contact you?
1: Uh so I'm, in, I'm right now I'm in New Orleans at my place of business at one of them you know uh, nothing but fire record store uh, we opened this business after Katrina uh, two years after Katrina it was the first uh black owned record store that opened you know after Katrina and uh, you can reach me you know on social media uh, at you know ses 45s ess 45 uh you know Facebook and all that ses45. Uh, you can just give us a call here at the shop, 504-342-6977. And when you're in New Orleans, come visit us. We're at 1840 North Claiborne, and, uh, you know, we're going to give you that Southern hospitality that we're known for.
0: <laughs> I know that's right. <laughs> now, Don, I want you to also let fo- let, tell the folks how they can, you know, follow and contact you, one, as the artist, Don, but also in your position. Now with the caucus, you now have the the task of organizing all the artists, not only <laughs> in the country but the world. Uh, you got to get a, you got to help them to use their cultural expression to shape their political experience. So all them artists, you are artist DJ, you a painter, you a dancer, you you fashion, you need to be getting in contact with Dawn and her team. So how can how can folks follow and contact you and 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 begin to join you? as artists fighting, fighting for justice?
2: Yeah. um, So I'm uh, Dawn Richard everywhere. So from Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of it, D-A-W-N-R-I-C-H-A-R-D. So you can literally contact me all across the board with that name. I also work uh, as the director of artist uh, relations at Hip Hop Caucus. So you can get to me at dawn at hiphopcaucus.org. And I really want to stress that because there's an importance for artists to come and who have major messages and major voices, we can work with you to really get your messages out there, especially uh, with, with voting and um, economic uh, rights and also uh, climate control. So please hit me up. I want to hear from you and I would love to help artists mix their art and their creativity within the political and policy space to find that there's really incredible and creative ways for us to get our voices out there. Um, I also am the creative director at Adult Swim. I do consultant with them. So if there's any animators out there who wants to come through, I don't only just do it for Adult Swim. I now do it for Hip Hop Caucus. So I want to bring more black animators to the space as well. So if you're in animation or 3D, 2D virtual reality, again, please understand when someone asks me, how can we take our city or just us as a culture to the future? This is how. So I'd love to also work with people who are dealing in the NFT or tech space to come on over to the Hip Hop Caucus because we love to also curate that and create messages to reach people in all avenues from the most relatable ways to the futurist ways. That's how I want to expand the caucus. That's how I want to really push us as a culture because when I speak about wealth, um, it is possible for our culture to have monetary and heritage generational wealth. Um, and these are the ways to do it. So I want to be able to help our culture grow in these um, basic ways and also in futurist ways. So that's how you can find me, guys. I'm super honored to be able to be working with the Hot Caucus representing New Orleans. So hit me up anytime I'm open, I'm free.
0: Oh, man. Man, bless both of y'all. And those are our guests today. That is Don Rashard and SES45, And I am Ravi your host of The Coolest Show. Man, let's keep pushing, y'all. Love y'all. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to repeat. It's the coolest show you know. It's the
1: coolest show you know.